So can I pray for you, Trevor? Yeah, that'd and be then great. let you loose. Okay. Fantastic. So Father, we just thank you for Trevor. We thank you for his willingness to come and to open your word this morning. Father, we, we just desire and we long to see more of you, Jesus. To see you, to know the reality of your love for us. This God who was, was so great in that expression and demonstration of your love that you came and made a way for us. So I pray you'd speak through the power of your Holy Spirit through Trevor this morning. Illuminate his words. May they carry, carry a touch of your grace. May they go deep into our hearts. May you accomplish what you desire to do this morning for the glory of your name. And I just pray for him personally. In the midst of the jet lag and the tiredness of uh, long travel, just pray for refreshment. I pray for that sense of ministering from that place of joy. Just the overflow, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Fill him up, we pray, and may your word just come forth with such a touch of your grace and your boldness this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you. So, is it working okay? You can hear me. Good, it's so good to be here again. Um, For those of you that are fairly new to the church, um, we are probably your most regular visitors. Well, it seems like we started coming in 2017 and we've been here every year since. So we almost feel at home. Well, almost. And more. And it's so good to be back and see familiar faces around the room and just to have an opportunity to be here together with the family of God. So thank you. And I'm looking forward to next Saturday. hope you will be too, those of you who come. Um, And we'll be sharing a bit more together. The... um, the worship this morning, um, I haven't often been in worship where I have been so touched by the, the, the sense of, I don't know how to put it really, the, the, the incredible greatness of our community called the church. I mean, did you notice we sang the declaration of our, our faith, the creed? put to music, which was put together nearly 1,700 years ago, that Christians all around the world have declared Sunday by Sunday, you know, we believe in God the Father, we believe in God the Son, the virgin birth, all these incredible great truths that connected us here in Canberra with the church universal. Through all the generations. And then we sung a song that talked about thousands of generations singing the praise of Jesus. And we were that last generation of that thousand. This generation. It was a profound moment this morning that brought us together into the very presence of Almighty God and his incredible love for us. Now, I'm you know, I wasn't going to talk about worship, that wasn't the plan, but, you know, I often find between there and here, everything changes. Uh, you know, that's the scary bit about being a preacher. But I, I just felt so connected with all those who've gone before us, through numerous generations. And, and I thought about the church around the world today, declaring the same truths that we've just declared in Jesus and in God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. They're declaring those words in Ukraine today. They're declaring them in Russia. They're declaring them in Israel. And they're declaring them 
on the Gaza Strip. Because in all these places, the family of God are gathering. And we're part of that glorious church. It's a huge privilege to be gathering together like this. Now that's all kind of at preamble, that's bonus material. I was just so moved by that time in worship. Because so much of what I want to share with you today and again next week is, is about this incredible nature of our God who is so inclusive of us. A father who's always been father. Um, when we, you were leading us in the dedication of that sweet little child this morning, you talked about the fact that God the Father knew her before the creation of the world. You know, when Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians, nearly, just over, nearly 2,000 years ago, when he wrote to them, he had an incredible insight, which we call revelation, into some truth that had always been true, but we had just never seen it before. See, that's really what revelation is. It's an uncovering of something that's not new and futuristic, but it's always been true eternally. And when he wrote in the letter to the Ephesians, in the opening incredibly long sentence that he wrote at the beginning, he said, For God the Father chose us in him, in Jesus, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he planned for us to be his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. You know, that connects us to the living God who is eternally God, even before creation. Back in my distant past, in my youth, I studied theology at a college in London. And we did the doctrine of God, and it always began with God as creator. It kind of seemed to miss the point that he was actually doing something and being something, even before he created. And it's in this verse in Ephesians. Before the creation of the world, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had this glorious relationship of love and joy and and all the things that we have celebrated today about the glory of God. He was like that eternally, and they together, the three of them, suddenly had this moment where they said, let's have sons and daughters to be the focus of all our love and joy that's in our hearts. And from before creation, he planned to have a family. And that great sense of family has always been in the very heart of God. And that's what, as Christians, we try to express in our gatherings together like this. To express that same nature that is in the heart of God, who loves to celebrate with great joy the whole family that is his people. And so before creation... He had a plan that we would be his sons and daughters. That undergirds everything. Now, I can't imagine how that was, what, what it was like, but there must have been that moment in the heart of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit where they've had this great idea to have sons and daughters where, I guess simultaneously, they said, where should we put them? Because if you have a plan to have a family, you need a home. You need somewhere for them. And out of that he created. And he created our world. He created this perfect place. Out of all the billions of galaxies that he formed. All the billions of universes. There's one little solar system. 
with a star and a few planets whizzing around it, and there's a blue one, apparently, that we call Earth, that's really tiny, and that's the perfect place for Father to place his sons and daughters. So here we are on this planet, which we're not doing too well in looking after, but it's the perfect place to raise us, to be his sons and daughters, holy and blameless. You know, when the Bible talks about holy, it doesn't mean religious. It doesn't mean well-behaved and doing religious things. It's talking about being special and uniquely set apart for God, for him. And his purpose in having sons and daughters is that we would have that intimate relationship with him and nothing in the way. That's why he says blameless. No sense of guilt or separation. That was the plan. Plan A. God's plan for each one of us. But of course, we've all read the book, presumably, and in the early chapters we realize that that plan tragically went wrong. And in the first instance, in Genesis chapter 3, we we read about how in that perfectly beautiful environment where he placed the first man and the woman, there there came into it um, evil in the form of this serpent, this fallen angelic being that set a trap for the man and the woman who had already himself fallen from the presence of God because he wanted to be over God. He's there in the Garden of Eden, and he sees this man and the woman, this expression of the heart of God that Paul had seen, this man and the woman who were holy and blameless, his precious son and daughter, and he looked at them and thought, if I can't have God worship me, I'll get them to worship me. And he attacked what was made in God's image. And you you can read the story there. We may talk about it a bit more next week. But in that awful moment, when the man and the woman found themselves breaking the, the, the one thing that they'd been asked not to do, which was eat the fruit of a particular tree, because God said, if you do, things will change. They did that, and everything changed. And immediately, they felt no longer special and holy. No longer blameless. Instead, they experience something which we all experience all our lives. But they felt shame. I mean, can you imagine feeling shame for the first time? It must have been devastating. And, and their reaction was to try to solve their own problem. And what Satan has done for them, he, he's turned them into beings, man and a woman, who no longer want to relate to God as sons and daughters, of God as a father. Instead, they're afraid of him and think they've got the solution to this new problem they experience. And in that garden, the Lord God comes to them and he says to them, where are you? What's happened? And their answer is probably the saddest verse in the whole Bible. They say, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. Because I was naked, so I hid. This perfect environment where God as a father had placed his beloved son and daughter now became a place of fear and brokenness and separation, which infected the whole human race. 
that the words that Adam used when he spoke to God was, when I heard you, I mean, he still recognizes God's presence, but instead of running to him as a son, his reaction was now to be terrified of God. Now, that's one of the things we're particularly going to think about next week. How does that play itself out in our lives? Because the problem for all of humanity is that we're afraid of God. We don't recognize his true nature. Instead, we're afraid of him. And, and the whole story plays itself out through the Old Testament. And, and you read of how God is trying to share his heart with people, his people Israel, and he begins to try and show who he is, but they don't get it. They're terrified. Even the, the prophets who speak the words of God himself see this, and Jeremiah, many, many centuries later, Speaking the very words of God highlights the whole issue. He says in Jeremiah 3, How gladly would I treat you as sons. So I really wanted to treat you as sons. Give you a desirable land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. Jeremiah's using God's words and God's saying, That's what I planned for you. To be holy and blameless in that beautiful inherited place. And he says, I thought you would call me father. I mean, what sadness in the heart of God. This humanity who he had created for his pleasure, for his joy, to be family with, now are terrified of him and can't even call him father anymore. Nobody called God father. They had all sorts of other names for him, names driven by fear, and religions of the world have done, perpetuated that. Nobody called God Father. It, it was a, a desperate, desperate place for the human race. Until one day, many centuries later, in a little town that no one had ever heard of called Nazareth, a young girl is going about her normal life in her home, maybe doing a bit of clearing up in the kitchen. We don't know what she's doing. A young girl who we know as Mary, who's engaged to be married to the local carpenter's son. They've not married yet. They've not slept together. She's just a young girl in a home. And suddenly, an angel shows up in her kitchen. I mean, that's pretty scary, isn't it? I mean, ladies, how many times have you had angels show up in your kitchen? Now, I don't mean the time when your husband came in and offered to do the dishes. <laughs> I know that constitutes an angelic visitation. But what would you do if an angel showed up? What does an angel look like? I mean, is it three meters tall? Has he got wings? I mean, what's going on? This angel shows up. And, and she's not surprisingly a little bit surprised and afraid of this. And, and this is what, what happens. The um, <clears throat> angel speaks to her and says, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Now, what's that about? You know, she'd never really thought about angels, I'm sure. She's just an ordinary girl, an ordinary person. And then the angel says to her... Um, well, it says before that, she's greatly troubled. I mean, not surprisingly. You know, what's going on? What, what have I done? 
What's God doing with me? Why am I favoured? And she wondered what this might mean. So he gives her the good news. And he says, Mary, you have found favour with God and you will be with child and give birth to a son. At this point, Mary probably can't think of anything other than what? How is this good news? I'm not married. She's about to say that. But I, the angel's got more for her. See, he's about to reveal something to her that nobody else knew. He says this, you are going to have a son and you'll name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. I mean, I don't know how much of that Mary took in in that sentence. I mean, she's probably still stuck on, what, I'm going to have a baby? Because that's immediately what she said. She said, well, how's this going to be? Uh, reality is, I'm a virgin. That's what she's saying. You see, we're now in a different realm completely out of human experience. See, the God who before the creation of the world planned to have sons and daughters has now initiated the beginnings of the process that will bring us all back to that original intention for us. And it begins with an ordinary young teenage girl who's engaged to a local carpenter. It's quite astonishing, isn't it? Now, I was thinking about this. It's almost Christmas, right? This is one of the Christmas stories, and we can sometimes miss incredible truth in the middle of the familiar. You know, as we go back over our little nativity scenes with our grandchildren over in New Zealand a few years ago, we got the little wooden Christmas thing out, the wooden manger and all the rest of it, and we looked at what they'd done, and we asked, well, why is baby Jesus on the roof? And um, my granddaughter said, well, if he's in there, he's likely to get trodden on by a camel. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And alongside it, there, there was a, a rather um, naked Barbie in, in the nativity scene. And we asked what that was about. She said, well, she's the midwife. <laughs> you know, in the familiar of these great stories, we can sometimes miss some profound things. Not Barbie being a midwife. That's... But in this story, the angel has said something to Mary that no one had ever heard before. She says, you are going to have a baby, you're going to give birth to a child, a son, and he will be great and will be called the son of the Most High God. Nobody knew that God had a son. Nobody. Nobody talked like that in Israel. See, if God has a son, what does that make him? But a father. And nobody called God father. People were terrified of God. They didn't even want to say his name out loud because they were so afraid he'd be angry with them. And we'd heard Jeremiah speaking God's words. I thought you would call me father. And here in Nazareth, is this young girl, and she's the first person in the human race to hear that God is a father and he has a son. 
It's absolutely astonishing. Let's not lose the incredible revelation that that is in the familiarity of the Christmas story. See, something is being uncovered that has always been true. God has always been a father. He does not become a father when Jesus is born. He's always been father since before creation. What we're seeing in the coming of Jesus is the fact that we're still on plan A as far as God's concerned. He's still working incredibly through the history of the world. So poor Mary, she's terribly confused. You know, how's this going to happen? I, I can't work this one out with my head. Well, the truth is, to try and work anything out in your head, we're going to miss it. These things are perceived in the heart. And we've forgotten, humankind had forgotten how to hear the voice of God. Instead, it was all tried to be rationalized. And so the angel speaks to her, and it is so incredibly beautiful what he says. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High God will overshadow you, and the baby who is in your womb will be called the Son of God. You know, people didn't know that God was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They had no idea about that, but the angel knew. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High God will overshadow you, and the baby in your womb will be the Son of God. This is incredible revelation of stuff that's always been true. The incredible nature is that we are being invited in to this revelation. We get to see it in practice. Now, I, I think the angel is incredibly um, kind in what he says next to Mary. because He says this, Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. Now, Mary needed to hear that. She's just been told that she's going to be, become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now, what do you do with that information? You go and talk to your mum about it? Well, no, the angel's given her a good clue. Go talk to Elizabeth, a relative, who is an old lady who's six months pregnant. This family goes in for unusual pregnancies. Luke, who wrote these accounts for us, had obviously talked to Mary, and he was a doctor. He was particularly interested in unusual pregnancies. Because these things were, humanly speaking, absolutely impossible. And the human mind and reason says, no, this can't work, this is impossible. And so the angel actually brings it down to really where it's at, because he says, for nothing's impossible with God. See, we're on this great journey of learning to discover what God is really like and how we see him through the eyes of our hearts, which he's wanting to open up to us so that we see who he really is, to not be afraid of him, to not feel we've got to work hard and do all these things and maybe the big guy would just be pleased with me, to not live like orphan-hearted children, but to live in the way he called us to live in the first place holy and blameless in his sight, his beloved children. So Mary goes off to see Elizabeth. It says she left straight away. 
and she heads off to Judea where her relative Elizabeth is and goes to see her. And then we hear in the story that she hurried to the town in the hill country of Judea. There she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now you imagine these two ladies meeting each other. Elizabeth, we don't know how old she is, but she's clearly a lot older, and she's six months pregnant. And it says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb. See, there's Luke thinking, oh, okay. And um, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Now, what's going on there? Mary's just walked into the house and said, Hi, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth says, Hello, Mary. Woomph! Holy Spirit lands on Elizabeth. The baby in her womb is cartwheeling, full of the Holy Spirit. And revelation comes pouring out of Elizabeth's mouth because how does she know Mary's pregnant? How does she know that the baby in Mary's womb is going to be her Lord? See, this is what happens when the impossible begins to happen and God breaks in into our world to bring us back to that place that he intended for in the first place, of intimacy and connection and revelation with him. There are now two people who know that God is a father and he has a son, Jesus. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Mary stays there for three months. Sounds like she stayed for the birth of the baby, who we discover is going to be John the Baptist who figures in the story later on. But then Mary goes home. She's had a wonderful time with Elizabeth. Lots of kind of connection there. Because these two women are, are discovering that, that God's doing something extraordinary in them and through them. But Mary has to go home. And I've often imagined how it would be when she gets back to Nazareth. She's been away for three months. She probably turned up in the village square, you know, there's the well and Maybe some of her girlfriends are there getting water and they say, oh look, Mary's back. Oh, how's the baby? Has Elizabeth had her baby yet? You know how it works. And the girls would have looked at Mary and thought, I think she's put on a bit of weight. You know, one or two of them probably thought, she's pregnant. I'm sure she is. Because she was. She's three months pregnant. The girls would have noticed, wouldn't they? Well, then she probably went home meets her mum. Her mum says, oh, Mary's so glad you're back safe and sound. How's Auntie Elizabeth? Is everything going well with the baby? Mary? Mary, are, are you? Mm, yeah. I, I'm it's three months. How, what, 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 what? Your, your mum, you, you want to know, right? Well, there was this angel... I don't know what her mother would have thought. She was probably thinking, okay, someone's got to tell your father. Leave this to me. I'll sort him out. Because he wouldn't have noticed straight away, would he? 
So what does the father do when he discovers his beloved daughter's pregnant? He wants to fix it. He wants to solve the problem. You know, it's what Adam did in the garden. Okay, I'm naked, right? Make fig leaves to cover myself. Fig leaves, don't be daft. You know, we've always had this idea of we've got to fix things. That's never been God's plan. But Joseph, uh, Mary's father, is going to fix it. Obviously, we've got to get Joseph in. Now, why, why all this drama? The drama is this. If you lived in Israel at that time, and as a young girl, you got yourself pregnant outside of marriage, their law said she should be stoned to death. See, this is not good news in their culture. In their way of thinking, this was not good news at all. And so Joseph is brought along to explain himself. And he walks in, and we read about this in Matthew's Gospel, and he stands there and says, I'm sorry, but it's not my baby. Have you ever put yourself in Joseph's shoes? He loved this girl. He's betrothed to marry her. And all of a sudden, he discovers she's pregnant, and he knows he's not the father. So what's he going to do? We're told that he decided to finish the relationship, the, the marriage covenant which hadn't been consummated was going to be destroyed, the engagement will be broken, and he would do it privately because he didn't want to embarrass her, he didn't want her to be subject to the, the ridicule of, and the abuse that would come with this. No, he, he said, no, no, but we'll do it quietly. But I can't marry her. He must have been brokenhearted. And he, he goes back home. And Matthew tells us he went to bed, went straight to sleep. How do men do that? <laughs> and he has a dream. And in his dream, the angel Gabriel shows up again and speaks to him and says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because the baby in her womb is the Son of God. So now there are three people who know that God has a son. And Joseph comes back next day to Mary. Again, I have a fertile imagination. I can imagine him knocking on the door of the house and maybe Mary's dad comes to the door and says, what do you want? Haven't you caused enough trouble in this family? Go away. No, well, I want to talk to Mary. Well, she doesn't want to talk to you. You know how these family situations unfold. And maybe Mary comes to the door behind her dad with red eyes, probably not having slept much that night. And said, Dad, Dad, let me talk to him. Yeah, I want just two minutes. Well, on your own, but I'm, I'll, be, I'll be nearby. Mary and Joseph look at one another. And Joseph looks her in the eye. This woman who he loves and says, I know. I know too. We can do this together. I mean, what a guy. He's going to be Jesus' stepdad. Jesus is going to be brought up in a family where there isn't a natural father for him. And Later on, Joseph and Mary will have other children, and Jesus probably will always feel a bit different. But he would know the stories. I'm sure they told him as he grew up in that family. 
Because there are three people, Joseph, Mary and Elizabeth, who know that God, who before the creation of the world, with whom nothing is impossible, that God has come back into our world, stepped in with the solution to the whole problem of the human race and the separation that we feel. He's brought his son into the world. He sent his son. The only human being who's ever born who has no father issues. He's the only one who knows what God is really like. And he is sent by the Father into our world to bring us back home. To bring us back to that place that we were planned for before the creation of the world. We've been celebrating that all morning. We've celebrated it in the breaking of bread and drinking of wine. The very proof, if we need it, that nothing is impossible with God. That he's done everything that needs to be done to invite us back into that intimate relationship with him as our real father. But you know what? Some of us don't quite believe it. Some of us drink the wine and eat the bread Yet in and inside, we're still afraid of God. Love Jesus, love the Holy Spirit, but God the Father, not sure I can handle the big guy. Now that's part of the healing work that Jesus is doing. He's going to begin to show us what he's really like. It takes three years with his disciples to do that. That's another whole story. I could be here for a week just talking about that. But this morning... I just want us to hang on to that wonderful truth that God, who has always been Father, with whom nothing is impossible, has found the way to bring us back into that personal heart relationship with him, which is what he wants for every one of us, without exception. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, that you have never changed. Thank you that you never stopped being a father. You never stopped loving us. And even though we were so separated from you by our sin and brokenness and our fear of you, you never gave up on us. You never gave up, not once, waiting until that perfect moment when you sent your son. And you sent him into our world. As we celebrate him in this season of the year, thank you, Father. This incredible truth is that you are a Father who never stopped loving us. And the living proof of that is our dear brother, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that this is the day in which we live. A day of incredible revelation where you are restoring our hearts. And you are revealing yourself again to us as our Father. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Amen. Andrew, what do I do now? (laughs) I get stuck in these moments. What am I meant to do now? Go and sit down, I think. Can we thank Trevor? First thing you do is you invite the uh, anointed musician up.
And we do have an opportunity, <coughs> excuse me, this morning just for ministry. There is no need to rush away. We have prayer teams that are willing and able and ready to pray and minister to you. There's, of course, when you're ready, an opportunity cafe will be open to hang around for a, a cup of coffee and some fellowship. But I would encourage you this morning just to ask that question, Lord, what is it that you are speaking and saying to me? We've been having some wonderful prayer meetings on Wednesdays. Love to encourage all of us to be a part of that and just sensing the Lord stirring our hunger. But we were here on Wednesday and the Lord just brought to mind that uh, passage in Matthew 24 as he talks about stuff's going to happen, you're going to see these things. And then there's this phrase in there, he talks about, and because of the lawlessness, because of the things that are happening, there's a phrase there, it says, the love of many will grow cold. And the Lord impressed on my heart that that it's a season, he, he, he's coming to help thaw out hearts. Scripture talks about he's the God who takes the, the heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. And there is this desire and this work of the Lord. He, his desire, through his mercy, he draws us to himself. He calls us to live as people with a passionate heart for him. So can we get the ministry team to come forward? Prepare themselves at the front. And I think particularly in that regard, if, if there's a sense this morning... Just whether it's in worship, whether it's been through the word that Trevor's brought to encourage us this morning, whether it's even just now in that own, in your own personal space with the Lord. If, if there's something about that, that the love has, has grown cold, there's a hardness of heart, just from the stuff of life. I believe this morning is a morning where he's desiring just to really minister to our hearts. Just to fan into flame afresh that passion for Him. And that comes not from us stirring something in. It's not a works trip. It's coming back to that place where we rest in the reality of the God who first loved us. So just come Holy Spirit, I pray this morning, would you soften our hearts? Where we need it, Lord, would you, you take the heart of stone, would you... Not even just chip away, but would, would you remove the blockages, remove the stuff? May we be not only a tender-hearted people, but a heart. A people with hearts where our love and our passion for you never wanes, never falters. A passionate desire and flame of love burning bright in the hearts of your people.